Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share their insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Adrian Lahens is an operations executive who's helped grow nascent startups into industry-disrupting unicorns. With expertise in media and technology and a passion for innovation, Adrian has cultivated dynamic teams and established iterative structure to support exponential growth. She's overseen the development and execution of hundreds of influencer marketing and branded content campaigns for Fortune 500 companies, grossing billions of views, provable ROI, and actionable business results. Currently, Adrian is the COO at Influential, an AI marketing ecosystem that delivers market intelligence, influencer technology, and social activations. Adrian sets the strategy for managed service offering, leads GTM strategy for the SaaS business, and runs all operations for the company. Prior to Influential, Adrian held several leadership roles in her four years at BuzzFeed and scaled the operation to support well over $150 million in revenue. She led initiatives to foster international expansion into Europe, South Central America, and Asia, and brought new products such as branded video, quizzes, and editorial sponsorships to the market. So Adrian, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you've got, um, and first, first off, a very interesting background and bio, but also just a, a kind of a cool niche that you're in as a, um, as a company. Why don't you just tell us, um, give us a little bit more detail as to what Influential actually does. Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely play in the influencer marketing space, although we don't think of ourselves as a traditional influencer marketing company because most influencer marketing companies are really focused on things like reach and engagement and vanity metrics. And what really differentiates Influential's offering is our ability to drive provable ROI to be able to measure the effectiveness of our influencer marketing campaigns. Um, we work with influencers as a tactic for distribution and as content creators um, because we find that influencers tend to be the most effective uh, content creators in today's digital and social world. Um, and then we marry that with more traditional measurement uh, capabilities and being able to track back uh, real life, real world attribution. So for example, did you, uh, were you exposed to the ad and then did you walk into the dealership and test drive the car? Were you exposed to the ad and did you tune in to watch that show? Were you exposed to the ad and then did you go to that quick service restaurant and actually, you know, buy that product or into the Walgreens and buy, you know, swipe that uh, product at the register? These are things that we really focus on um, as a business and something that is really unique uh, to uh, our capabilities on the influencer marketing side. And is this is this all kind of happening behind the scenes? Like, does the customer know that that this is happening? Does the average customer know? I guess that this is all happening, or um, is this the kind of the attribution and the ROI measurements that you're giving back to the companies that are hiring you? Is this the data that they're using for more of their marketing? Yeah. So it's really about uh, audience segmentation in a way that is completely compliant with social platforms and completely compliant. Um, with all of the laws and regulations. There's nothing that we're doing that's not 100% above sure. board. But what we, um, 
what, uh, what, what, what we're, what we're really good at is, uh, number one, we have proprietary technology that enables us to identify, uh, the right talent, the right influencers, the right content creators to effectively work with based on things like audience demographic data based on things. And, and it's all aggregated and anonymized. So it's not like, you know, you specifically are, uh, are, are being targeted and we know specifically that it is you, it is part of a pool and audience, uh, segment, if you will. Um, and then we partner with a number of third party data providers. So rather than, you know, just buying audiences off the shelf in Facebook, for example, which we do to some extent, uh, but we, but when, when we're looking at, uh, competitor conquesting, for example, you know, we want to target, um, people who have been in this quick service restaurant in the last 90 days or this segment of, of quick service restaurants in the last 90 days, but haven't been in the restaurant of our client and we're trying to conquest their competitive set. That is something where we will partner with, you know, third party data providers, third party audience uh, providers, and uh, we'll be able to effectively uh, target in that way. Um, and then we can actually match back and, and measure the effectiveness um, of, of that advertising. So that is, um, you know, where every other influencer marketing company is really focused on like how many engagements and what was the reach and really kind of cheapening it down to like how many pieces of content were they creating, you know, uh, what's the number of, of impressions that we delivered and how far did that exceed? Like, these are very basic things that we just consider as part of like our, you know, standard, uh, delivery. Uh, but what we're really measured on with our clients is did we actually move the needle for them? Did we actually solve a business challenge for them? Did we actually drive sales for them? Um, in a way that is, you know, attributable to, uh, our efforts. Would you dovetail up to, or would you be, I guess, um, closely related to, you know, the higher end affiliate marketing, not, not the kind of lower end, like commission junction or link share stuff, but more the, um, stuff that maybe acceleration partners might be doing. Yeah. So we, there is definitely, or is that uh, a component, a component of what you do? Yeah, there's a component to that, uh, but we're not, we don't consider ourselves really in the, in, in the affiliate marketing space because that typically tends to be a slightly different business model. We are still uh, billing our clients in a media model based on like, you know, a guaranteed CPM or CPV. Uh, but what we're, what we're reporting back to them is the measurable impact of the campaign. Um, and so, you know, we're not necessarily hiring influencers and contracting with them based on how many sales that influencer specifically delivers against. Um, there are companies that really focus on that side of thing. That's not really our uh, business model or what we really find to be most effective in the way that we work. And also affiliate marketing tends to be very like online to online conversion, which we absolutely do do and can do. Uh, we can absolutely, but that's, that's simply appending a pixel to an ad and measuring conversion. Um, what, what we do is, um, uh, a bit more complex than that from a mapping back to real life experiences and, or like in-store purchases and, or TV tune in, uh, where that, um, 
that measurement uh, has to happen. Um, you know, it, that measurement is kind of a, a bridging and attribution of the data, um, you know, in, in a way that is a little less turnkey than a, you know, typical online attribution campaign might be. Okay. So it's unbelievable how the marketing has become a science. It's almost, oh, for sure. yeah, it, 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 I think it's almost like the creativity of marketing is almost not irrelevant, but very secondary compared to the science and the mathematics of it all now, isn't it? I would say it's, um, it it's both for sure. Uh, because when you start to get into, um, and, and, you know, we, we dealt a lot with this, that at BuzzFeed, that's definitely the world that I came from, which was really looking at analytics and data to inform things like content strategy, but you also have to be like a human at the end of the day and create content that you know is going to resonate with other humans. And what you find uh, when you lean too much into the algorithms is you end up creating content just like everyone else and you blend in and, um, you know, you might get a lot of clicks, but that's not going to, you know, actually create real impact. And um, that's something that's really important um, is being able to kind of break through that noise. Cool. So let's, let's back up a bit and tell us how you got involved with Influencer, kind of how, you, um, how did they find you or how did you find them? And what was it that both attracted you to their organization and that, that attracted them to you to come into the COO role? Yeah, so I, before uh, Influential, I had been at BuzzFeed for four years, as you had mentioned. Uh, before that, I was in e-commerce and kind of the travel technology space at Jetsetter and, and before that at Guilt Group. Um, and there was a bit of a, it's interesting because like media, media brands are becoming, uh, media companies are becoming brands and brands are becoming publishers. It's kind of like, it's always been the same thing. Um, and, uh, and when I was at uh, Buzzfeed for some time, I was noticing a lot of trends as it related to, you know, the upcoming sort of, uh, influencers who were actually like, there were influencers that were disrupting publishers in the same digital publishers in the same way mm -hmm. that, digital publishers were disrupting, you know, traditional, more traditional media. Um, and, and that acceleration happened very, very, uh, you know, quickly. And I was really intrigued by, um, there was very much an influencer component to what we were doing um, at BuzzFeed um, as it relates to especially video. We had a number of like in-house influencers that we had sort of developed within, within BuzzFeed. We hired a really exceptional talent um, and oftentimes the talent that we hired, you know, some of them started as interns and then became, you know, influencers in their own right with, you know, hundred, you know, millions of followers themselves. And um, so I was starting to see this trend and I really liked the idea of democratizing that um, and the concept of that being fully democratized. Um, and when I was at BuzzFeed, I started there where there was like a hundred people one office in New York. It was such a small, nimble team and such a startup environment. And then, you know, it came to the point where there were 1,500 employees, offices around the globe, leadership had changed. Um, and I was just, you know, I loved BuzzFeed. I loved everything about my experience there. I just needed to go back to, you know, my roots, which is building and startup mode, because that's what, you know, really motivates me to get up in the morning. And I felt like, you know, we had innovated so much at, at BuzzFeed and like at a certain point it was like, you know, it was more of a bigger company. 
Um, and so when I left BuzzFeed, I took a little bit of time and really thought about what I wanted to do next. And um, I had been kind of talking to a number of other uh, media publishers in the space, a number of MCNs in the space, and uh, Influential, actually a recruiter at Influential had reached out to me. Um, and, um, and I met with our CEO, Ryan, and, you know, we just, I just saw that he had such a vision and such an understanding of how important data is, mm. um, in influencer marketing that it just felt like a really good mix and a, like a really good match and a really, we had a really good chemistry right off the bat um, a lot because of my background at BuzzFeed and how important analytics was in, in that process as well. So, you know, really getting to, to know and see the technology component to how he was, how the company was really helping to match brands with influencers and ultimately with audiences uh, really, you know, spoke to me and kind of reminded me of the early on innovation that we experienced quite a bit at, um, at BuzzFeed. Nice. So you, so you went back into, it wasn't quite a startup, but how small were they when you joined then at Influential? Oh, it's definitely a startup. Um, we were about, um, I want to say definitely under a hundred employees. It's, it, it's interesting because, um, we haven't actually grown in the number of employees here. Uh, in fact, we might even be slightly down from when we started, but awesome. yes, um, but our revenue has grown very hockey stick. Um, so that is something that, you know, kind of early on, I really focused on how do we create more process and more and establish roles and responsibilities effectively to uh, ensure that we can handle quite a bit more revenue so we could, you know, be a profitable company. <laughs> um, so that, that was a, a large part of my role, which isn't always the most popular role in the company, um, you know, early on, but, uh, but we got through some of those early challenges. Nice. I, and I actually love that you identified right away for me that, that you had actually had cut back on the number of employees. I remember it was about seven years ago, I was coaching a CEO of a digital marketing firm in New York called Elite SEM. And they had a goal to get to, I forget, I think they had like 30 employees. They wanted to get to 100. And I said, wait, like the number of employees is not the goal. It's never the goal. Um, you know, it's about customer engagement, employee engagement, your profit and your revenues. It's not about how many people. Like that's the exact opposite direction you want to go in. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's cool that you guys have actually done that and are focused on that. Just a quick, quick question that I'm just kind of intrigued by. We hear all the, you know, the stories of, well, you know, Caitlyn Jenner was paid X to do one little you know, Instagram yeah. photo, what, what do the normal influencers get paid for a post or for some kind of something? What are you paying yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. And the answer might uh, not be that satisfying because um, let me just tell you, so like the, what an influencer in the United States, so somebody who has over 10,000 followers in the United States on Instagram, there's 800,000 of, of, of those right. people. Yeah. It's, it's massive, right? And everyone demands, you know, very different pricing depending on, you know, what is the type of content that they create? Are they creating video content? Are they creating static content? Is, are they being required to attend some sort of event? What is the usage terms of that creative? Um, how many followers do they have, of course? What is their engagement rate? Sure. Um, are they represented by agents or managers? So there's so many variables. Uh, generally, we tend to see CPMs in the range of, call it, 
eight to ten dollars, you know, on the you know for for the influencer. Um, so that's based on the number of followers they have. But that can that could scale all the way down to two dollars. It could scale all the way up to forty dollars. I mean, depending on right. who you are, who you're working with, if there's travel involved. Um, so yeah, there's there's quite a lot of variables, and that was something else that we did early on was we built a very dynamic. Uh, rate calculator that factors in all of these. I mean, this is like, I don't know, this is kind of like a, you know, nerdy part of the, of, of, <laughs> the interview, but like, you know, factors in all these different variables that kind of spits out a rate depending on, you know, the 25 to 50 different, you know, things that can factor into like what would determine a rate. Yeah. And it's not just about that single post that they're doing as well. You kind of identified a whole bunch of other areas they could be, um, could be involved in or, or required of them as well. So that makes sense. Yeah. So, so what was it then about the, I guess, the vision that, um, that Ryan shared with you? What was it about the vision for the company that excited you? And, and how did he communicate that to you? Because I don't think we ever joined the company for what they are today. We, we kind of joined them for what they're going to be in the future. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and early on too, like I knew Brian is an exceptional salesperson. And I think that, that, um, I saw that immediately. And there were some things that, um, you know, I saw early on that I was like, I know that we're like, I see the vision and I know that I'll be able to help you get there. But he was so confident in his delivery and in his like, um, you know, kind of, uh, vision for like what he expected it to be and all of those things have really kind of rung true over the years um but what i really appreciated about um his vision was um really the ability to uh identify influencers and i and match influencers based on extremely granular data points and like really thinking about i think there's a there's a quote that he said that's like um you know, social data is the largest crowdsourcing of public opinion in human history. If you can structure that, you can predict the future. And, um, and, and that is ultimately his vision. And that's kind of what permeates all of the different product offerings that we have. It's that, you know, we really understand kind of the, we have our finger on the, on the, on the pulse of like what is social consciousness today um, through a lot of the really incredible technology that we've built as well as the partnerships that we've established with like IBM Watson um, and also, you know, partnerships that we've established with another, you know, a number of other third party providers um, and sort of being able to marry that all together and, and inform things like, you know, we have a market intelligence offering that sits completely outside of influencer marketing, uh, the, the world of influencer marketing, but, you know, looks at um, a number of, marries a number of these different data sources to, you know, inform like go-to-market strategies for brands or product development based on, you know, what is, uh, what is being, you know, kind of talked about um, on social and then that the audience that we're trying to target, like, do they have a propensity to buy that specific product and sort of like marrying those things together and like, informing a number of like really insightful uh strategies uh, and data informed strategies so like that's kind of our market intelligence offering and like we didn't have that offering when i started um a few years ago we didn't really have our self-serve technology platform a few years ago um but there's been this sort of constant um drive towards innovation and i would say like that's probably the through line to everything was like i just saw ryan as a 
and an innovator and a leader from that perspective and just always being the first to do something and pushing the boundaries and driving the market forward. And that's what got me really excited to, to join the to join the team. Wow. All right. So, so you're joining someone like that who gets it at the level that he gets it and you're coming from, um, I guess, a, a similar industry, but um, how did you divide and conquer the roles? You talked a little bit about the roles and responsibilities. How did you two decide who's going to keep what and who's going to focus on what areas of the business? Because I always see the CEO and COO as kind of the two in the box. Yeah. Um, it kind of happened naturally because we have very different strengths as leaders. And I think we both recognize where the other's strengths lie. And we both very, you know, respect, respectfully lean into that. Um, I'm much more, I tend to be much more of an inward facing leader. Um, and Ryan tends to be much more of an outward facing leader. He's doing a lot of the, you know, press and sales and on the road a lot. And I tend to be more sort of nurturing like the company internally. Um, and, um, and yeah, so it kind of fell into place from that perspective. Although what I will say is like, as of the last six months, things have shifted a little bit, nat naturally shifted a little bit where our SaaS business is something that I have taken more ownership of and, um, and he, because he's really focused on a large portion of, you know, on the, on the overall company, but also on the managed services portion of our business, which is essentially our bread and butter, but we're starting to launch a few kind of self-serve tools. So I am starting to be a little bit more involved in sales. I now lead a sales organization. Um, you know, that's a separate division under, under influential, it's a separate sales division, but it works very much in collaboration with our existing sales team. Um, so we have really this, we've kind of, uh, created this ecosystem play that incorporates market intelligence and, uh, self-serve technology, and then our managed services business. Um, so it's, you know, there, there was kind of, I think there was a question that you had kind of sent me early on about, um, you know, like what, uh, what do you sort of wish you had known before you started your role? And I would say like that point it is um, that chemistry is so incredibly important. And some mm. people might liken that to politics, but I think it's more, maybe a more optimistic way to, to put it is that it is really the chemistry between uh, the leadership as well as, you know, how you're able to kind of, motivate different people and adjust your communication style in different ways to be more effective and more persuasive as a leader. Um, but really kind of coming on board, making sure that as, as a COO, as a second in command, you have a really great dynamic um, and chemistry ultimately with, uh, you know, with your, your CEO and that you work really as, as partners together. And I definitely feel lucky to have that. With, how, do you, uh, how have you evolved then? How have you evolved your communication and your leadership styles over the years? Um, how, I would say. And, and how have you? And how have you had to to evolve? I guess as well would be part two of that. Yeah. So because we are constantly innovating in the market, our business pretty much like the evolution of our business is it changes so rapidly. We evolve so rapidly. Our 
product offering develops very quickly. So being really nimble um, is extremely important. And our business has also matured quite a bit. So while we still have about the same number of employees, I have a lot more senior level employees on my team. So I've brought in really exceptional talent um, from media strategy to creative strategy to campaign operations to, uh, I have an incredible uh, uh, SaaS sales executive leader uh, who we brought on board who comes from you know Adobe and Sprinkler and all these incredible companies. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say like my communication style or, you know, mostly internally has been the, the evolution of that has, has been, you know, to hire really, um, exceptional, uh, senior, more senior talent. Um, and, you know, obviously kind of empowering them to make a lot of decisions and to really lead their, their, uh, their departments effectively, um, and that's, that's different than managing, you know, much more junior level employees. Yeah. Now you just kind of Audrey shucks your way over that too. And I think it's actually a pretty huge area for anyone who's listening to, to learn from. So walk, can you walk us through how have you been able to, um, I guess, recruit and attract and, um, and then onboard the senior talent? Cause I think there's one part is, is the recruiting and attracting them to your company. Um, and then the second part is how do you onboard them into your culture when they're used to either being with a bigger brand or um, a larger company coming into this more entrepreneurial environment? How do you do that? Yeah, great question. And when I say senior, I don't necessarily, I know I, I did drop a couple of bigger brands. I don't necessarily mean that you have to go out there and hire someone who has come from a really big company because, and that's such an important distinction because seniority doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you've worked at the biggest brands in the world. Seniority could be that you've worked at a number of startups and you've seen the growth in, in a startup, you've seen the failure of a startup, you have started your own startup. Like yeah. there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of amazing experience that comes along with that. So I'm not necessarily, um, you know, for something like a sales role, it's kind of important that, you know, you do bring on someone who has, um, has seen a lot of success from a sales perspective. And oftentimes, um, you know, find making sure that you identify someone with the cultural fit of a startup is so important. So someone who has uh, both the, the bigger name brand in like a sales role, but also has worked at startups and has been really effective at startups. And maybe their smaller startup was acquired by the bigger company that they worked at. And then they have left the bigger company because they wanted to be at a startup again, but they have the experience being at the bigger. So it's like, you kind of want to understand the whole picture of that person and the whole story because, um, you know, so it's a very different type of person that works in a, um, in a growing, you know, startup organization compared to someone who has like a very kind of defined, uh, role and is dealing with a lot of red tape, maybe in like a yeah. much larger organization. So you're talking about bringing on the seasoned skill set, not necessarily the uh, pedigree brand background of somebody. Yeah, totally. And it does depend on the role. So for example, with sales, it might make sense to bring, you know, someone on board, depending on the stage that your product is at. So like at Influential, for example, like our SaaS business is extremely, you know, new and uh, we're tapping into a new market with that. 
but we have a lot of momentum because we have this really mature managed services business. So like if we were, if, if we didn't have that really mature managed, managed services business, it might make more sense to hire someone who's like a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more like exclusively startup oriented, but like, because we have that like wind behind our sales, like bringing on some big muscles from like a, you know, kind of bigger company name, like they, they know they can lean on the fact that we've done, you know, X amount in revenue with X clients and, you know, and they're, they're confident going into the room versus, you know, someone who, um, you know, if you, if your business hasn't really achieved that success and in, in other, you know, revenue lines, you know, you might want to kind of rethink that strategy. Okay. So you've got this team in place now. How do you actually lead them and manage them day to day and week to week? Where do you spend your time? Yeah, it depends on, uh, on the day. It depends on the, the time of the quarter. <laughs> um, but I spend a lot of my time right now on uh, building the, new, the newer part of our business, which is old SaaS and managed service. We've changed quite a bit um, in that, in, in our market intelligence offering over the last like three months, we've made a lot of really great sort of breakthroughs in terms of like what we, uh, what we can achieve from a business outcome perspective. So, uh, really working on nurturing, like I spend a lot of my time, uh, positioning the product, uh, effectively, um, in, in kind of crafting what the story is on how we want to, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, position the product in the market, but also like, what is the go to market strategy? So I spend a lot of my time right now, like on that pre-sale side of things. Um, because on the managed services side, I have an incredible VP of campaign operations who, you know, over the last couple of years, we have, um, you know, very worked very closely together to build out that, um, that operational structure where it's, you know, it's a very well-oiled machine at this point. So I kind of step in for certain exceptions that might need to be made or certain escalations, but generally that business is, is running very effectively. And then the other place that I step in there is like when we see revenue opportunities to, um, expand, you know, a specific kind of product offering. So like we're doing certain like in-flight optimization strategies where we can upsell clients on, you know, additional, um, on, you know, kind of pumping the gas when something is really taking off in one of the campaigns. Like we, I kind of step in to help productize that, roll that out to market and then like kind of move back into, you know, building the, the, the SaaS business. Interesting. All right. You guys are, have raised, uh, done a couple of rounds of funding now as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, Series B. Oh, and has that changed the company at all? I don't know what the exact numbers were in the raise, but were they? You know, has that changed the company at all in terms of how you operate, or is it? Are people still focused? Um, always curious about the distractions, you know, plus and minuses of of raising money. Yeah, no, it's been generally very positive for us. Um, it was something that we had planned to do. Um, it, you know, it and. The main, uh, the, the main way that we utilized that capital was to launch our SaaS business. So yes, it has changed kind of the structure of the organization from that perspective because it enabled us to fund, you know, the incredible sales team that we've been able to hire to support that uh, revenue and that growth. Um, and it enabled us to 
uh, really scale up our technology from that perspective as well. Um, so that's kind of how it changed. But um, but other than that, uh, it's not something that like the average you know employee necessarily like feels on a uh, you know kind of day in and day out. Okay. Um, and I was just searching as you were talking to see if you, if uh, a company that I used to coach called Influitive was a competitor of yours. I'm glad they don't track as one of your competitors. I was, I was realizing the company names were so similar as well, and they're kind of in the marketing space, but very different in terms of your brands and what you focus on. Yeah, um, for sure. Okay, so so you've got a senior team. You've got your focus now. What have you? What are you working on now to grow to continue to stay not relevant? But I think every day that we grow our companies, it's the biggest thing we've ever done, right? Or the company is certainly at its biggest stage now. What are you working on currently to continue to grow in your role? Yeah, um, I would say that the part of our business is really like we've really nailed it on the head as it, when it relates to uh, the fortune 500 brands, we have an mm. exceptional uh, sure. client base on that. end. Uh, we are going, you know, we're developing more and more brand direct relationships, which I would say is continuously important uh, that, uh, you know, and especially in the media and, um, and, and in the media and technology world that, that we work in, um, it's important to establish a lot of those brand direct relationships. So that's, that's a trend that's continuing to happen with us, but with a lot of our self-serve tools, it's about, um, being able to offer our products to more mid-tier brands and yeah. enabling more, you know, we, we believe so much in this influencer space. We want everyone to be able to benefit from the amazing talent of, of, of influencers and the audiences that they've been able to cultivate. So being able to take that mission uh, towards with more uh, tools that are more self-serve, more turnkey, um, and then layering services on top of that to ensure success, um, you know, that's definitely the direction that our business is going in addition to continuing to nurture like the fortune 500 brands with some of the more sophisticated uh, attribution pieces that we can do from a managed services perspective. If you're to, if you're to think about your experience at working with some of these fortune 500 brands, I mean, I think most companies out there will never get the chance to actually go in and even pitch them, let alone work with them as a client. What do you think you've learned most from working with some of these big brands that, um, I guess what was simpler or less complicated than you might've thought in working with them that we could all learn from hmm, or, is it more or is it more complicated? <laughs> yeah, no, it, actually it's simpler in the sense that the bigger brands have, you know, teams of experts that they hired who most, many of them do understand the very sophisticated approaches that we are, um, that we're enacting on, on their behalf. So the conversation, I think when you have to scale back the conversation for some brands, you know, and there's definitely like DDC direct consumer brands who totally get social, who totally get data, who built these businesses in very entrepreneurial ways. And they've like leveraged a lot of that. And sometimes those brands tend to be more sophisticated in some ways than, you know, some of the bigger brands that are doing things, have done things a little bit more traditionally. Uh, but, but typically, you know, you're working with um, agencies and brands who, um, you know, especially over the last few years, the influencer space has evolved 
systematically uh, and uh, what used to be very experimental budgets where they'd allocate very experimental budgets is now kind of like tried and true and it's just part of the media mix. Mm. Um, so they get data, they get, um, they get that it's more than a talent model when working with influencers typically. Of course, there are some exceptions to that. Um, and, um, and they, you know, when, when you're spending a lot more money, uh, sometimes it's actually easier because, you know, uh, half a million dollars to a big major brand is actually, you know, not often, but yeah, it's on a big budget. But when you're working 25 K with a, you know, much smaller brand, like every single penny counts. So sometimes those campaigns can be, uh, or deals can be far more, uh, challenging to execute. Um, but you know, our, our offering for the smaller brands is obviously, you know, it's much more scaled down. Um, it's much more of a self-service offering, um, and it, it empowers them to do a lot of this really great work on their end themselves. Um, so yeah, I would say that's kind of the primary difference is, um, an adjustment is in, oh, like you kind of reading the room and being able to kind of take a step back and um, kind of retailoring the pitch in a way that's going to resonate with a, um, you know, someone who's maybe a little bit newer to the space. It's interesting. Sure. So you guys are really building your entire platform off AI. Any, any lessons for us? I know this is a huge rabbit hole to go down, but any maybe um, overarching lessons for us or pitfalls that we can avoid of people that are starting to think about or getting involved in, in bringing AI into their business? Yeah, AI used to be this like sexy sort of black box of a thing. And I think it's starting to become a little bit less. Um, uh, it's it, it, People understand it, at least in our space, a little bit more of like what that means and tactically like what that actually looks like, which is still absolutely, you know, sexy in terms of what it can do. Um, but, um, but, you know, maybe as, a, but as you start to understand it a little bit more, it's like, oh, that's what it is. Okay, I get that. Um, so basically, like, the way we leverage Watson's AI, IBM Watson, is we do a full timeline scan of the influencers in our network, and we're able to determine uh, across 52 personality traits, like, like where each influencer ranks, um, you know, against that personality trait. So are they adventurous? Are they adventurous? Are they hedonistic? Are they open to change? Um, You know, all of these things, right? So when we, um, when we, we we do the same analysis on the brand that we're working with and, um, and we identify influencers who map back sort of their personality maps back to the brand that we're, um, engaging them on because it's important, right? Like if you, you want to, you want as a brand, you want to work with influencers who talk to their audience in the same way that, you know, you as a brand talk to your audience. Um, sure. so that personality piece plays a, a, a big role and that's like, you know, that's personality insights. Um, another AI that we, uh, use is, um, is like sentiment analysis, for example. So wow. when a brand is mentioned, is that influencer mentioning that brand positively, negatively, or neutral? That's something that's really important when you're doing like, uh, you know, competitive vetting or when you're vetting an influencer for, oh, have they ever mentioned this brand before? And when they did mention it, did they speak positively about it? Uh, that's something that's important. Um, and, you know, then we can do like other types of AI. Like, for example, we have image recognition where, 
within the influencers feed. Like if we want to be able to source influencers who've posted, you know, at the beach or in city landscape, or they, they posted working out or, you know, obviously there's keywords. It's pretty simple, but like with the image recognition, that becomes a really powerful sourcing wow. tool. Um, you know, and, and not only a, a create like an influencer sourcing tool, but it becomes a really, um, powerful creative, like a uh, creative strategy tool where you can like see like, okay, who posted at the, at the, at, you know, at the red carpet, uh, on the red carpet at the Oscars last year. And like, what brands were they talking about? Like you could do a lot of really great research on that end to help to inform things like creative strategies. Wow, it's crazy to, just to think about the science behind all this. You mentioned the um, you know, adventurous, hedonistic as two traits. I've got one of my clients makes a bunch of products that people going to Burning Man or raves would buy. And I'm like, yeah, that would be their demographic right there. Um, <laughs> there you go. The, um, okay, so in scaling an organization, when you help scale BuzzFeed's business from $20 million to $150 million in revenue in two years, how did you help do that? What what you know, what do you think some of the maybe top two or three secrets were that, um, or not secrets, but two or three things that you did that either helped do that or allowed you to manage a business through that growth too? Because sometimes doing it is one thing, but managing through that crazy growth is another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, there's kind of the more like innovative part of that, which is like, how do you, uh, when, especially when you're creating a lot of content, how do you optimize um, revenue and effectively get the most revenue out of each shoot? So for example, like there's high costs in, in creating video content for brands, uh, especially at a large scale, especially when you're working with Fortune 500 brands as we did at BuzzFeed, you know, they expect a certain caliber of content despite the fact that it's going to be distributed on social. So like creating the content is, is you know, it, it, takes, um, it takes significant budget to do that. But then being able to say, okay, like we rolled out a product offering called distributed extensions, which was like, how do we cut up this video in a lot of different ways and then seed it out um, on different platforms or maybe, uh, you know, utilize different, these different pieces of content um, and kind of test and iterate and seek more budget from brands with content that's already been created, for example, and just leaning into like what is really working and optimizing towards what is really working on these different platforms. Um, so like that was one way that we, that we really scaled up the revenue. We came into the video space, like BuzzFeed started, um, uh, like when Facebook's uh, when Facebook and Instagram started really launching like launching a lot of video content, we got mm -hmm. into that space obviously pretty early, and then we saw just a ton of brand interest there. And that was when you know Tasty was coming about, and uh, we started to see a lot of interest in brands wanting to not only do video content but also work with um, work with our editorial team, which we had prior to that kind of kept a bit of a church and state divide between editorial and, um, and business. And, and of course that still exists from like a news perspective, but from a, you know, like, uh, in, incorporating like brands in some of the, you know, really great franchises that, um, that, that Buzzfeed was creating was really critical to, uh, that very quick growth. So that was like on the innovation side. And then from a, 
scale side, and this was something that we, you know, we dealt with like very early on was we were seeing revenue going from like, you know, just com completely exponential. And like, we, we had to hire so many people in order to support mm -hmm. all of that growth. And, and when you start out with like a hundred employees in your entire company and you have to scale to, I mean, a few hundred in like less than a year, like you're doubling, tripling the size of your business. You have to make sure like people know like what it is they're doing. Um, you, they need to know kind of what their roles and responsibilities are. So I remember my boss at the time, Eric Harris, who is like amazing mentor and, and friend and just taught me so much. And um, like one of the things he had, had uh, kind of initiated was like, let's do a racy, which is like defining like the roles and responsibilities of, uh, of, of everyone on the team, who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted, who's informed and going through that process, which is kind of like more of a, you know, a bigger corporation thing that you would do versus like a startup, but we were scaling so fast. So like ensuring that as we were rolling out these new product offerings, um, everyone was, you know, when you roll out these new products and when you introduce new departments, how that department essentially fits into the larger ecosystem, uh, you really have to define what that looks like. That's totally so. smart. <clears throat> yeah. A lot of those systems actually do work when you're coming into scale. It's funny. I think people always ask, you know, how do I grow my revenue? But they don't really uh, talk about how do I grow the company to scale with the revenue? Cause yes. that's where a lot of people fall apart. All right. Parting question or final question. Yes. If you were to think back to when you were 21 years old, what, what do you wish you'd known at 21 that you now know about, you know, running companies, leading companies? What do you wish you'd known a lot earlier? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I would say that it is um, really trusting yourself and then surrounding and believing in yourself. Um, there is like the imposter syndrome that like, I think everyone ends up having at some point in their career and just kind of knowing that literally everyone goes through it. Um, yeah. that is like very helpful. <laughs> I mean, everyone has that at some point, um, and potentially at some point always. Um, and then also just like, not being afraid and and I don't think I ever had this fear um but not being afraid to hire people smarter than you yeah and not uh and and knowing like really evaluating who you are and where your strengths lie and where your weaknesses are and not being afraid of your weaknesses just knowing to fill the gap um because that's what really makes us effective if you if you, if you identify a weakness, but you're so afraid of it and you don't want anyone to know that this is your weakness and you just hide it, like people will see through that very quickly. And, um, and you know, you, you, when you, when you actually like fill that gap with an amazing person, um, you end up learning a lot and you end up actually filling that gap kind of in, in the long term for yourself too. Yeah. You, you, you learn quite a bit from yeah, that person. Totally. So I love hiring yeah. people that I learn from. Yeah, I totally wish we'd learned that in the school system as well because we were always told to kind of get a mentor or a, a tutor for our weaknesses and we just kind of got average at our weaknesses. But if we were able to work and collaborate with others and they could fill our gap, we could have built some pretty high-performing teams in grade school and high school and college. But That's so right. I think in the United States, we focus so much on, on individualism mm -hmm. um, and in work life, 
collaboration is so much more important and um, it rings so much, uh, so much, you know, it's, it's, it's such a bigger part of our, uh, of our success is being able to effectively collaborate. Yeah, exactly. All right, Adrian, thank you so much for sharing with us. Adrian Lahans, the COO from Influential. Really appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Yeah, it was great. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.